0: I would invite your attention to uh, our scripture text. This is from the third book of the New Testament, Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. You can follow the text in the order of worship if you'd like to. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. I don't know how many of you saw Parade for this weekend. Um, I follow it breathlessly myself. But there's... There was a piece in there by Anne Rice, and uh, most of you would know the name Ann Rice, very, very uh, successful author, who really kind of started the whole vampire craze in some ways with Interview with the Vampire. And you know, what better way to start a Christmas sermon than with vampires? <laughs> but she did a piece, it, it caught my eye because I was thinking about this text this week, but she did a piece in, uh, in this parade magazine about angels and she's working on a book right now about angels. And she made this point that, you know, obviously something about vampires has struck a chord in our culture because books about vampires and movies and TV shows about vampires are just at a you know, raging high. And Anne Rice said this, that when it strikes a chord that way, there, there must be a reason, and it must be that people are aware of a struggle between good and evil. And in this struggle, there are participants who are not human. And what Anne Rice said was, I think that what fascinates people about vampires is, it's something they want to be true. And where you actually find it is with angels. Uh, Angels like vampires. I can't believe I just used that phrase. Angels like vampires, <clears throat> are not human. They, they take on a human-like form, but they're not human. And they struggle not just against, you know, evil people, but against other evil forces like them. Anne Rice makes the point, in the Twilight series, Edward is protecting Bella not just from bad people who would harm her, but from bad vampires. And Andrew, I said, you know, there's something in the heart that wants that to be true, and there is a biblical answer for that. Now, as we read this text, uh, we're going to see these angels. But what, what, I just want to say this to you before we read it. Constantly, for the next few minutes, mental pictures that most of us carry around from art or, uh, or paintings or, or, or whatever, you know, Christmas cards it will override what the text actually says. And what I want us to do is to try to see what the text says. Your mental picture can be so strong it overrides what the text is clearly saying or at least suggesting. And and what I want you to see is this, is that the angels in 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 this account are not doing something that just leaves us with nostalgia. They are acknowledging a cosmic war. And they are announcing that this undeniable shift in the war has occurred on earth. Look with me in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. The setting is the area around Bethlehem. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Amen. Let's ask God to bless our time in the Word. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask now that through your word, through this record of one who talked with eyewitnesses and recorded the very things that you wanted your church to have and you wanted us to have, we pray that we might hear them. We pray that our hearing and your work through us hearing and our response might be part of our worship. And we pray that we will hear the very thing we need from you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, again, this, this text is in some ways so familiar, at least uh, you know, the Linus version, the King James version that he quotes uh, up, up in the school auditorium. It can be so familiar to you that we don't see and hear what's there. So I want to jump right in. There's so much here that uh, we're kind of drinking out of a fire hose, as they say. But here's what I want to look at is first the encounter that takes place and then the news that's given and then the response. All right, the encounter that takes place, the news that's given, and then the response to the news. First off, the encounter. The, the first participants in this that, that we come to in this particular text are the shepherds. And we don't know a lot about them, but here's, here's some basics that we can know. This is outside Bethlehem, um, the region around there. And you think about a lot of sheep would be needed in that area. Bethlehem is close to Jerusalem. Someone has to raise all these sheep that provide all this wool, that provide meat, Um, Someone has to raise the goats that provide all this milk. Someone has to raise all these sheep for sacrifice. And the one who takes care of them are the shepherds. Probably the most important uh, phrase to understand is just this first thing that says, there were shepherds out in the field. Now, again, uh, when we think shepherds, we tend to go to an image that is either from a card, a Christmas card, or shepherds in children's plays. Um, My daughter had a Christmas presentation this week. We had some shepherds come down the aisle. They were about that tall. And, you know, they were cute as they could be. What would these guys be like? They they were basically nomadic. And they would have tents they could stay in at night. But they lived out in the fields. Very self-reliant. They would be very tough. They would be cowboy-like no one else to depend on, I would say they would be very brave. If you have ever stayed out by yourself, uh, not in a neatly manicured campsite, but sort of out in the wild at night by yourself, it is rattling. They did that all the time in a, out in wilderness where there are real predators who think their sheep are really delicious. And the only thing between these sheep who are not smart and these predators are these shepherds. At night, they uh, tended to have fuzzy views of property rights. In other words, your land might end up being, in some ways, their land if they were passing through. Um, Their sheep tended to stay with them. Their sheep would know their voice, and they would know their sheep by name. Jesus draws on that. But because of their peasant status and their dirty work, I mean, they would carry their odor around with them. Uh, and because of their fuzzy views of property rights, one, one ancient Jewish source said that shepherds' uh, testimony was inadmissible in court. Okay, so tough, self-reliant, very pragmatic, realistic men, peasant status. First off, you get them. And then you get an angel. Now, this is where the mental pictures can really override what the text is actually saying. What do we know about this scene from the text? Um, Yeah, I started thinking about my own mental pictures, and I thought, are these just my mental pictures, or would a lot of us have this? And I got on Google, on Google Images, and I just typed, shepherds, angels, click. And almost every image that was pulled up was similar, and it was of... um, non-eastern white shepherds who are looking up in the sky and and there are sort of feminine-looking angels hovering up in the sky above them. Now, is that what the text says? Because the first thing to see is that the first appearance was just one. He's just one angel. And it's fascinating what Luke records, and and I really want to underscore this. I would stand before you and say to you that the Scriptures again and again and again show themselves to be trustworthy and reliable, historically, spiritually, with all authority. But I do want to underscore, Luke, who records this, he was tenacious about interviewing eyewitnesses. And so he said, here's the account I came up with, is that one angel, it's the angel of the Lord... Appear to them now. First, when you hear angel, what do you think? Because angels in scriptures, in the scriptures, they're not people. They are spirits who visibly appear, and they basically do one of two things. You don't see angels in scripture with downtime. You know, you don't go into heaven and find rooms of angels just kind of. You know, what are you doing? I, I don't know. I might go for a run in a little bit and you know, uploading some pictures. And now, they are always doing one of two things. They are either worshiping God or they are on missions. And the missions are subsets of this giant cosmic war. They're either working with their allies or against their enemies. And it's interesting that it says this angel of the Lord, just from his appearance shines the glory of the Lord throughout their campsite. Now, my mental picture, again, because of art and things I've seen, tends to be, you know, a blonde woman hovering up in the sky. It doesn't say that. It says he appeared. And the natural way to take that would be that they are sitting, you know, with their staffs around the fire, around their tents at night, and all of a sudden there is something like a man-shaped pole of fire in their midst. And and there's there's an interesting episode in the Old Testament that actually sheds a little bit of light on this. It says that when Moses, in the Old Testament, when he dealt with God face-to-face, it physically affected him. That after Moses had dealt with God face-to-face, this unique privilege that his face shone with God's glory. And the light did not originate with Moses. It was reflected, but it stayed with him. And it was very unnerving to the Israelites to the point where they got him to cover his face with a veil when he returned from talking with God. And what you have here is an angel. We don't know a lot about this angel. Who has had, this angel has had such proximity to the presence of God Almighty that light that doesn't originate with the angel but is a reflection, sort of an afterglow of God's own light and fire and glory lights up their entire campsite. And here's the other thing. He's by himself. And he is the one who speaks before there are any other angels. Now, what is the response it says that the shepherds... Here's the English translation uh, at the end of verse 9. It says, they were, filled, they were filled with fear. Or, you know, in the King James, that uh, they were sore afraid. That, that doesn't have the punch of the original. In the original, it says, they feared a great fear. They feared a mega fear. Now, rewind, you know, rewind the tape. These are guys who are used to being out in the wild with predators and being okay. And they were terribly pragmatic. And they saw something that terrified them when they saw this one angel. The other thing I want you to see is this. When the other angels appear, it says there's a multitude of the heavenly host. We tend to think of, wow, giant Choir loft in the sky. You know, sometimes in art, like two of the angels have a banner, you know, one's holding one end of the banner and it says peace on earth, and the other, you know, and they're, they're floating, <laughs> w- you know, with. <clears throat> you know what I'm talking about. Okay, host is a somewhat technical term in the scriptures, it means army, it's the army of the Lord. And so when the, when the multitude appears, here's what I want you to think about. First, this one angel speaks, and he terrifies this campsite of these men. But when he delivers this message, it says that these shepherds look around, and troops, it doesn't say they're in the sky. It says that the multitude of the heavenly host appeared. And the natural way to take that would not so much be choir aloft in the sky, it would be that you know perhaps the shepherds got up and looked around, and the angelic troops just went out to the horizon. Uh, John Milton, Paradise Lost, famous English writer, he wrote an ode, long poem, about the nativity, the birth of Christ. And when he got to this part, this, this sounds like Lord of the Rings. He writes, "The helmed cherubim." Do you know what helmed means? Helmeted. The helmed cherubim and sordid seraphim in glittering ranks with wings displayed. Troops. All right. Very frightening. What's the news? This before the multitude of hosts appears, this one angel says this, I have good news. Now, as as churchy people, I know that's not all of you, but as people who are Involved in a church this morning, as we read this, we can hear good news in a very New Testament way. Oh, good news. Good news means that Jesus came and he died on the cross to save us from our sins. That would not compute at all to anyone in this day. Good news was a term not only in the Jewish world, but in the Gentile world for something very specific. In the Gentile world, it would mean one of two things the birth of a king or the end of a war. It would be the birth of an emperor or the end of a war. And when you see the term good news in the Old Testament, it can have connotations of that. The angel says this, I have very good news. And he says this, it's of great joy. And here's what's beautiful about him saying that. The only other place that great appears in this little bundle of verses is the shepherd's fear. It says they feared a great fear. And this angel says, I'm coming with good news of great joy. And in a sense, here's here's what we can understand as we read this. This angel is saying, I'm about to tell you something that is so good that it can give you as much joy as the fear you just felt. That you you can rejoice as intensely as you were just intensely terrified. Now, what's the news? He says this, that unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is, we translate it, Christ the Lord. In the original, it's just a bundle of terms. It says, a Savior who is Christ Lord. Now, there's so much we could say here, but let's just point this one thing out. Luke chapter 2 begins with naming a Gentile ruler, Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus, who's also called Octavius, he was the one who decides that the the Roman world is going to be taxed, and so all these people have to figure out where they're supposed to go and where you go line up and register and pay your taxes That's why Joseph and Mary have to go to Bethlehem is because of this action of Caesar Augustus. Two of the titles by which Augustus was known were Savior and Lord. There are actually classical sources that record that his birth was celebrated later in in life, his birthday, as a day of good news. And what is the angel essentially saying? You are about to experience what no one's been able to bring. We don't know what these shepherds knew about religion. They would know who Caesar Augustus was. Everyone would. Unto you is born this day someone who is divine. He is the Lord. And when you hear the Lord... Don't think Lord like, yes, man walking around teaching who's called Lord. Think Old Testament, the Lord God, Yahweh, whose name is I Am, who is the creator, to whom we answer and who answers to no one. The good news of great joy is that the Lord has come. He's the Savior. He's the Lord. Very divine, but what? Very human. He's born. The good news of great joy is that He is terribly divine. He's terribly human. He is born to you. We are accustomed to hearing that. That would virtually sound like heresy in Judea in that day. Here's how you'll know that you find The Lord. Now remember, what did the text say? This angel is an angel of the Lord, and that light that shone through their campsite was the glory of not the angel of the Lord. And the angel says, "The Lord, He's born." And here's how you'll know where the which child it is. He's wrapped up in swaddling cloths, and he's lying in a manger. Now, now we, we don't hear how radical this is. This God who just terrified you with his reflected light and fire was just born. And he is wrapped up in cloths so that he will stay warm. He is swaddled so that he can sleep and calm down. He's Yahweh. That's the news of great joy. Now, what's the response? Uh, This is the part of the story that we tend not to think about. It says that the angels, it doesn't just say they disappeared, poof. What did it say? It said they returned to heaven. And we don't want to read in something that's not there, but in the language of the heavenly host, the troops, it's almost would be the thought of returning in formation to heaven. And these shepherds look at each other, and they beeline it to Bethlehem. Now, when they beeline it to Bethlehem, what did they just do? They left the sheep. You cannot take a hundred sheep with you into town to go look for a baby. But earth—I mean, their whole life is to take care of this flock, literally at expense of you know, their own life and limb. These sheep know them by name. They know their sheep by name. The sheep know their voice. They leave them to go find this child. We don't know how long it took or how they did it. Are they just going by every place? They could possibly have a manger in it. But finally, they find Joseph and Mary. It'd be fun to think about what Joseph and Mary thought when they walked in. We're, it would be like, what if car mechanics walked into the service right now you know, blue collar shirt, name on it, you know, oil and smudges on their hands and finished the sermon for me. And what if that became a church tradition? And we called it, yes, the, you know, the preaching of the mechanics. And 500 years from now, all the churches celebrate the preaching, the sermon of the mechanics. And, you know, people are giving sermons about that first congregation in Greenville, how it must have warmed their hearts when the mechanics walked in. No, it would have completely baffled us. What are mechanics doing up here preaching the rest of the sermon? I'm sure that's how Joseph and Mary felt when shepherds walk into this room, B.O. and all, and just, that's him. And look at them and tell them the saying, the quote, that the angel said to them. And it says they'll tell everybody they can this saying. It says that people wondered at it. Wonder doesn't mean everybody became a believer. It just says it. it, it just means it sent shockwaves through that region. These shepherds were telling everybody, we saw this, and this is what the angel said, and this is what the hosts sang. And after that, it says, they went back. And what's the last verse? You know, we don't know what these men were spiritually before this night, but here's what we know about after. Verse 20. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now, what what are we supposed to do with all this? And I just want to leave us with this, because I want to think about the shepherds. It talks about Mary ponders these things in her heart. Maybe next Christmas we'll, we'll tackle that. But I do want to think about the response of these shepherds. The, the unhelpful way to preach this would be to say, they left their life's work. They set down what was most important to them. Will you? They became worshipers of God. Will you be a worshiper of God? Well we'll probably never see anything like this. It would be awesome. And I'm sure the rest of their life, decades after this, when they'd be sitting around the fire, somebody would go, that was awesome. And the rest of them would say, man, it was. Never forget it. But we probably will never see anything like this. What can we see that they saw that changed these hardened, tough men? And I want you to think about this. They saw that something was happening that was on the one hand cosmic and on the other hand personal. Because when they got that message, did you hear what they said? They said, The Lord sent us this message. The message is not, He's not a renegade angel. The Lord sent this message to us. That was the Lord's light. Those were the Lord's angels. Now, how much theology do you think they know? We don't know, but probably not much. They wouldn't carry a library around with them. What could they know? Here's what they could know. That the angels sang, the troops sang, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace on those with whom He is well pleased. That something about that child can cause God to be very pleased with you. And here's what I want to end with. The part that's so easy to miss about what the angel said is this. He doesn't say unto mankind is born this day a savior. What did he say? He said to you. To these tough, smelly men who were not on the inner ring of the culture... This angel comes to them just burning, casting a shadow behind them with this light of the Lord, and he says, To you, to you guys, is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And I would end with this What does amazing grace, the hymn, say? It says that it was grace that taught my heart to do what first? To fear. And I want to say this first, that we celebrate the coming of one who had not been a peasant forever. He always has been, and he always will be, Yahweh. He is the one who at the end of Job, Old Testament book of Job, comes to Job in his self-righteousness and says, Where were you when I hung the stars? Where were you when I set the boundaries of the oceans? Do lightning bolts appear before you and say, Here we are, sir. I am God. He is that. To see Him as not just a nostalgic baby in a nativity scene, but to see that He is the one true God is to give us enough to be afraid. This God could judge us. And it would be richly deserved because it will turn January and we'll all kind of go back to our normal selves. If we're at our our best this week, next week will come. But He's born to us. And I want to say this this morning, that some of you are new to these things. Some of you have grown up with these things. Whatever your condition is, what you need to see, what I need to see this morning is this. Yahweh was born, not generically. He was born to you and to me to bear our sins, to make things right, to win the war forever, to take away the curse. If we don't fear the Lord... Come empty-handed to the Lord and say, Give me like a gift, fear of you. And then cause the bad fear to be relieved. Let me retain the right fear of you. Relieve my bad fears. Give me good fears that I might worship. Set down what's most important and enjoy you. That is what the incarnation is for.